The following is a paid presentation. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the staff and management of Shiawassee Radio. This is your cell. This is your bunk. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio, live from the Cofield Oil and Propane Studios. Here's attorney Bill Amadeo. We are live. What do you think? Good. All right. You cool with this? Yes. All right. Let me show you all right. I am... I'm Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo and Gravel and Associates and Shiawassee 6. What do you think of the 6? Good. Do you want us to look okay right now? Yeah. Right, I wanted to make sure you were impressed. Live audience is here. Um, gotta get more content done. Matt McManus is not here. Yeah. Matt put in a lot of work today, man. I mean, that's work ethic Pete Winter would be proud of right <laughs> Jesus. Sometimes I just feel like I'm run out, guys. I mean, you put in more work than Matt today. Your name's, your name's on the letterhead. I did, the money. But you put in the hours. Do you ever hear the song, Here's to the Night by Eve Six? I think so. Yeah. That's going to play a role in this one. Anyway, today, guys, we're going to talk about two memories from 4th of July from my younger days. And I think everybody at this point realized I had a pretty colorful life, right? I mean, it's interesting. People tune in. But, um, the first memory we're going to talk about, and I hope the Republicans are cool with this one, but when you're 18 years old, and you know, when you're 18, you think you know everything. The reality is you don't know anything, right? But you think you know everything. But I think for an 18-year-older, I was way ahead of the curve. And then we'll talk about when I was 28. You still don't know a lot, but I still think I was ahead of the curve. So, let's kick it back to July 4th, 1994. I just turned 18 years old. And there's this big volleyball tournament, Brigantine Beach. And you know, surprisingly, despite being as short as I am, a volleyball is one of my things. Mm-hmm. I could play some volleyball. I had really good ups on the sand for whatever reason. I don't know. And all these great teams came along, and some of you guys have heard me talk about volleyball before, but for a minute, volleyball was pretty sacred to me. It was my escape from the world, if you would. And the world, it's not a reason to escape back then. But um, I worked from 11 p.m. to 10 a.m. the night before. So here's what happened. I'm working kitchen service sale from 11 to 7, right? Grave shift. And then they needed somebody to do overtime. So I did three hours of overtime. And I worked till 10 a.m. Then I got to the beach at 11 for the 20. And I think sometimes, it's like a pitcher in a game. Sometimes when you're so exhausted, you just go out there and perform. Can you feel that? Yeah. You know, when you don't know you're starting, mm-hmm. you just get thrown in there and you just react. So I'm tired, right? And I'm out there. And there were four of us. On paper, we're not supposed to be good at this tournament. Because there's people come from all over the state. There's the Cali and Florida boys that come in for the summer. And they like to win these tournaments. I mean, these much taller than us. You know, the California blonde guys that like to spike and all that. But I could hang. And the four of us were four kids who had a difficult life. 
you know, and here we are at 18. And the world is just staring at us. We don't know yet. And this is a scary moment. Because when you haven't been accepted, right? You've been a nobody. You've been the poor white kid. Whatever you were. And the four of us were kind of unique. We never had that acceptance in the social life aspect. And now you get a little bit of that. She did well in this tournament. And we're hanging out after the tournament. And we all have our little girlfriends at the time, you know. Your teenage girlfriends or whatever. And we're just sitting there. And we're talking about life. And I was pissed off. And they said, why are you pissed off? This is a metaphor for life. Well, we didn't win the tournament. Neither one of our two teams won. But you made, like, the semifinals. And no, we didn't win. And to me, if I didn't win, I felt like a failure. You know, everybody else like, wow, who are these teams? The other three guys were pretty happy. Because they exceeded expectations. And I learned that day solidified that day that my expectations of myself were always higher than other people's expectations of me so we're just talking about life and we're just sitting there you know and our little girlfriends at the time they're like hanging by the water and we're like in this little semi-circle and just shooting the breeze it was like there's this crowded beach but in reality we felt like we were the only ones there like we owned it right it's getting dark. The girls are by the water. And we all just start talking about life. What's going to happen? Because we realize at 18 years old, there's so much ahead of us. And I'm going to change names because I'm Facebook friends with some of these people. But I'm going to tell you about some of these people. And by the way, I like these people. But you even learned at 18 years old, you might have been different mm -hmm. for better and for worse. There was Tommy. Tommy was a really good volleyball player. Excellent athlete. Overcame a lot of shit at home. And him and his girl, they're 18 and they're in love. And they're both going to work in the casino. This is their plan for life. That'd be like two Michigan kids in love working in a factory, right? And... He's looking around at the casino, and he's enjoying his time on the beach, and he's having a beer. And he's like, this is it, man. This is what I want the rest of my life. And he was happy. And she was happy. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm not happy, right? We didn't win this tournament. What's up, Amber? Um, we're still poor. We're still in AC. I kind of admired him. Because here's this guy. He's got his life planned out. And he's content. He goes to the beach with his pretty girlfriend. She'll be his wife. They'll have a couple kids. They'll work their shifts in the casino. They'll be good to go. And I just sat there like, huh. You're taking it all in. Then there was Bobby. Bobby wanted to become a cop. And he was toying between the military... And being a cop. And he just wanted to be connected. Him and his girl had been together since they were like 15 years old. And they were not really socially accepted 
they were together. And this is one of those situations where they actually found their true love at 15 years old. And good for you, right? But he said his plans. He wanted to be a cop. And he wanted her just to be a housewife. And they were going to have the children. And they were going to live in Atlantic City area their whole life. And he was going to move up in the Atlantic City police force. And he was going to do this. And he was going to do that. And they seemed relatively happy. Then there was Ricky. Ricky was going to go off to college. He wasn't ready to do so. Good looking kid. He's coming to his own. But him and his girl, they love to party. And when I say party, man, they partied. She was nice, but she was wild with a capital W. When I'm saying if there was a line of coke, they were going to do it. They were wild children that did not have the right to become wild child yet. Because we're still in that social economic drama, right? But he saw a way to kind of go off to school and do this and do that. And they were kind of toxic for each other, even at 17, 18 years of age. They were the wild children of it. So they came down to me. And we're sitting there talking. And I'm with one of my first girlfriends. And she's at, hanging with the girls. Filipino. She's Filipino. So her family couldn't stand me. They didn't want her with a white guy. <laughs> Which went over really well with my aunt, as you can imagine. And she's going to go off the rockers. And I'm working in the casino and going to community college. And we were really into each other, but we're into each other at 18 years old. We were what we would call true puppy love, right? It was puppy love, that wasn't real. And this is where I think I was ahead of the curve a little bit. She says, hey, we're going to be together forever. And I'm like, no, probably not. And she gets really upset by this. What do you mean we're not going to be together forever, B? Well, listen. You're going off the Rutgers. You're going to meet people. You're going to experience different things. There's going to be that guy you like. She wanted to be a doctor. And you guys are going to connect. I'm going to be working in the casino. I'm trying to hang on to my baseball dreams. And I'm 16 credits at Atlanta Community College. And 40 hours at Tropicana. And... We'll stay in touch and we'll be cool, but I just, life is going to take its toll on things, right? And this is devastating her. What do you mean life's going to take its toll on things? If we're strong enough, we'll be together forever. We're 18-year-old kids. We haven't lived for shit yet. I just am breaking out of the ghetto, if you would, and a year from now I'm going to buy my family the house in Vatner. She was an Atlantic City girl. Different part of Atlantic City, though. She was a brainiac. And I knew at 18... We didn't know shit about life, right? We just didn't know anything about life yet. And life would do what life does. We'd hang out for a while. And we would talk on the phone. But then those calls became more seldom, right? You're working late shifts, she's going to frat parties, this is happening, that's happening. And the relationship kind of took its own course on things. And you know, it's weird, because sometimes 
I think people want to capture that 18-year-old moment. And sometimes people don't evolve from an 18-year-old moment. But I knew at 18, it's like, hey, you know, life is in front of us. And I don't know what life has in store yet. But we were cool. And years later, I run into her. Now I am studying for the LSAT. And she's trying to get into med school. We run into each other at the Margate Library. And we were both coming off what I would call weird breakups. Mm. But we're still kids, you know? And we hung out a little bit, and the realization kicked in. We are so different. She was talking about this guy she really liked in med school. And I'm talking about trying to get into law school. And there's nothing worse than a date when the girl's talking about another guy. <laughs> You're talking about your plans and dreams. Just wasn't on the same page. We're not even Facebook friends today. Like, every once in a while, like on my birthday, she'll text or do a DM out of the blue. You know, and there's a little bit of bitterness on her end based on my success. She's got a nice little life. Everyone's watching will say, you know, we would have stuck together when we were 18. We never would have made it if we stuck together when we were 18. We never would be who we are today. An example of the way things ended was before she went off to Rutgers, I bought her this diamond necklace, which was $180, which was all the money in the world back then, right? You're 18 years old, spend $200 on your girl. And, um... She told me, hey, I still have that necklace. And I'm thinking, oh, don't try to sell it because I'm not going to get much for it. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, it's weird when you look at things. And July 4th of 1994, I look back at those people in that time. I'm like, huh. You ever know the person that's different from the crowd? That's me, I think. You know, I'm the different one. We got my friends, my inner circle, which you're a huge part of. Thank you. But to be able to see things clearly... It's not always an easy thing. And sometimes it's very painful. I think at 18, I could have lied to myself, got caught up in the moment, say, oh yeah, we're going to be together forever and this and that. But would have been fair to her, wouldn't have been fair to me. And you're just sitting there. And as the years go on, and you see the different direction you guys have gone, I mean, I was clearly right that life was going to play a role in things. Life is brutal sometimes, man. But we ended on peaceful terms. And, uh, you know, cool memory. But that's what it is. Yeah. It's a memory. You can relate to that, right? Yeah, absolutely. Anything you want to add there? No, you're doing good. All Keep right. going. Now let's flip it to 10 years later. Mm. And this will tell you how um, life had changed me a little bit. July 4th of 2004. A little different person than I was July 4th, 1994. Right. Just a smidge. <laughs> so, at this point, I got my family to house. I got a condo. I am graduated from college. Did some graduate program work. Coached some baseball. I didn't get leave for law school because I'm supporting my aunt and mom financially. I'm putting enough money in the way. But in August of 2004, I am off to Lansing. Off to L-Town. I'm going to Cooley. I'm out. 
And, you know, as you're leaving, you realize Atlantic City, you want to, like, exit stage door left in the quietest way possible. And you also learn that many of the people you were cool with, they really weren't rooting for you. That sucks. Somebody else's success is not your failure. Think about that. It's not. And I mean, I'm always rooting for everybody. You know, I, I don't see a reason why we can't all get what we want out of life. But, um, there was a girl I was dating, and only a few people knew about it. Because in Atlantic City, shh, you kept stuff quiet. You just did. Because when the casino knew two of you guys were dating, everyone was going to hate on it. Um, and there was only a couple of close friends of mine that knew about our relationship. We'll call one Pete. Pete knew. And he knew I was going to Lansing in a month. And it was time to say goodbye. And I'm at my condo one night. And this girl I'm dating goes through my mail. And there's all this literature from Cooley Law School. She goes, what is this? I'm like, oh, um, you know, just a law school I was looking at. It says you're leaving in X amount of weeks. Why are you going through my mail? <laughs> you know, just not cool. So the drama starts. I want to come with you. I don't want you to go. Why are you doing this to me? Why are you doing this to us? Why can't we do this together? Okay, there was no way that this person was going to come to Lansing with me. That was not going to happen. And um, and Pete, being who Pete is, he saw an opportunity to get with her. And uh, he starts playing these angles. <laughs> it's like, ah, you know, it's messed up. He's just leaving you like that. You deserve somebody who's going to be here long term. And he's trying to get with her bad. One of one of my friends says, hey, let's just call her Tina. Her name was not Tina. <laughs> like, hey, you know, um, B, I don't want to tell you anything, but I think Pete and Tina are hooking up. And they got something going on behind your back. Now, this is where um, my personality gets weird. This is where I'm going to upset some people. Your reaction to what I just told you may be, Oh my God! My friend's hooking up with my girl. What am I going to do? I'm going to tell you what I thought to myself. At this point, I want to get out of this relationship so bad, and I don't want emotional drama, so I'm looking for an excuse. How do I get out of this? And one of my friends says, hey, B, they make out by the beach on Baton Rouge two nights a week. And there's a song, Here's to the Night by Eve Six. I'll I'll try to post that later. Good song. It's about moving on and graduation. And he would always play Here's to the Night by Eve Six in this little enclave on Baton Rouge Avenue in the boardwalk. And they'd be making out. One of my friends goes, hey, what are you going to do about it? I'm like, hey, so when are they making out? Like, what days? Gives me a day and time. And um, 
I tell my friend, give me a ride. Um, let's just go see what I want to see with my own two eyes. So we get there. <laughs> we get to the beach. And, um, and we see them basically in what I would call my old porn scene, right? Yeah. And my friend goes, oh shit, B, what are you going to do? Hey, I tell him, whatever I do in this next few moments, just go with it. He goes, all right, I got you, B. He gives me a fist pump. So I woke up to the two of them with Eve Six blasting, and they're making out in front of me. So she's cheating on me with my <laughs> close friend. Mm -hmm. I said, oh my god, I can't believe it. This is horrible. I guess we're done. <laughs> so I left. <laughs> I think everybody thought like, oh shit, being who's going to fight. No, no, no. Dude, it was the greatest 4th of July gift I could ever have. It was such a cool 28th birthday gift. And those two are still kind of together today. And I was so elated that I had an excuse to not talk to this woman anymore. And I'm like freaking dancing on the way back to the car. All right, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out. <laughs> The Jail Visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. As my friend Joe Bonetta is in a battle, I've been thinking back to high school and college times. And, you know, college romance is interesting. Or whatever you do in college. I know I missed part of this, right? So when I was 18, I started working in the casino. And I certainly went to college. But I missed out on that part of life where uh, you don't care about anything and you just do you. I, I missed that. I mean, when I was 19, I was dating older cocktail waitresses and not going to frat parties. And I was working to support Aunt Mary and Mom. And, you know, the angst of young love just kind of slipped. I missed that part of the equation. I mean, it explains a few things. I don't know. But my friends didn't. I made some friends in college. And they were experiencing what college kids do. Well, I was experiencing what adults did. I feel like I skipped from high school to the major leagues. And I missed a whole bunch of stuff. And we're going to go to the movies, and one of my friends just broke up with this girl. And he loved her. But he loved her by 20-year-old kid standards, you know? I think we love differently at 21 than we do in our 40s. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But I seem to think we do. And he just thought she was it. We're going to change names. We'll just call my friend Rob, and we'll call his girlfriend Jenna. And Rob treated Jenna really well. 
we always paid for things. There were always a lot of chivalry going on, you know. We always paid for girls when we went out. And I taught my friends to do that. And I start having a little more disposable income than them because I'm working in the casino and I'm making tips and I'm saving money. But I also had a little bit of play money. And I told them, hey, when you take a girl out, one thing will separate you from the idiots in college is you buy her dinner, you pay for the movies, you be a classy gentleman. And they took to this and they followed my lead and I was kind of leader of my clique. And he was in love with Jenna. Jenna was one of the it girls. Jenna loves Seinfeld. And let me tell you what Jenna's favorite episode was. It was the Junior Mint. This is going somewhere, trust me. We were all watching the Junior Mint when they're together, and she's laughing her ass off, and it said, she said, oh my god, I love Junior Mints. And this is one of those girls, she's a 21-year-old kid, right? She's really fit, works out all the time. She doesn't eat candy unless she goes to a movie. But when she goes to a movie theater, she kills the Junior Mints. Like, I'm talking about like, get two of the giant Junior Mint things and just throwing that stuff down. And she breaks up with my boy. And he is devastated. And we're trying to cheer him up. So me, Rob... And our other friend will just call him Tim. These are all bullshit names. So I'm not going to mention people who are my Facebook friends. And actually real world friends. I want them to watch. If I don't want them to feel the pain of this. I hear their name come out. So me, Rob, and Tim go to the movies. And it's 1998. And Rounders has just come out. And there's another movie called Can't Hardly Wait. Can't Hardly Wait was kind of on its last legs, but it was a craze. What's up, Amber? It was a craze in New Jersey college kids. Everybody loved the movie Can't Hardly Wait. I want to go see Rounders. Now, let me tell you my position on that. Rounders is about a guy who's in law school with an addiction for playing poker. It just kind of spoke to me on many levels. Can't Hardly Wait was about the end of high school and this grand party and all the cliques come together and maybe there's some revenge, maybe there's not. It just didn't seem to be my thing. But Rob and Tim want to go to go see Can't Hardly Wait. B, can we just go to Can't Hardly Wait? And it's two against one. I want to go see Rounders. And what I realized at this point, this has kind of been a metaphor for life, if I go see Can't Hardly Wait with them, I could probably enjoy it, laugh at the moronic humor. But if I take them, if I force them to go see Rounders, they're not going to get the dynamic. They're not going to enjoy it. Being a team player, who was also paying for their tickets that night, I went to go see Can't Hardly Wait. Now, one of my concerns... And by the way, I like Can't Hardly Wait. I still watch it once in a while. It's a hysterical movie. It's great. And it's very interesting looking at it from college to adulthood and how we transition and switch. But one of my concerns was Rob and Jenna just broke up. And the movie is only showing at one place near campus. And on the off chance we run into Jenna with another guy 
this is not going to be good for Rob. He's an emotional wreck already. And I know at rounders, they're not, Jenna's not going to be there. What college kid, unless they had issues going on with gambling, would really want to go see rounders? I did, but okay. But I'm thinking, okay, what are the odds? We're not going to run into Jenna or anything. And we're in line. We're getting the tickets. And Jenna was one of those good-looking jersey girls who was really loud with the big hair. She used to make her presence felt all the way in. She had to be really loud with her laughter when she walked in so everybody could hear her <laughs> flipping her hair. And we're in line, and I hear that cackle. Like, oh, shit. Jenna's here. And of course Jenna won't be there with other girls. She'll be there with the new guys she's hooking up with. And Jenna and her new boy are in line near us. Jenna, of course, pays for this idiot's tickets. And my boy is, like, devastated. So I say, hey, keep your head on right now. So they say, B, let's just go to Rounders. Let's go to Rounders. I said, no. We're here now. You're not going to let her chase you out of this movie. You want to see the stupid film. You drug me here. You stand your ground. You pretend you don't even notice that she's flirting with this new idiot. He's trying not to cry. I'm a little pissed. Now I'm involved in college drama. You gotta understand, like, even though we're all the same age, I'm like the older brother in this group with my life experience at this point. I'm just like, oh, God. And this wasn't like a poetic justice drama at the movie theater. Nobody was gonna pull guns on anybody. We're in the suburbs. These are a bunch of white idiots at the movie theater that are going to make snide remarks. That's as dangerous as it's gonna get. It's always good to know your audience. So we go sit down. And we're watching. And there's not many people in this movie theater. Hmm. We're watching the coming attractions for different movies. And of course the new guy she's with. Let's just call him Tom. Tom goes in a row right in front of us. I'm like, okay, dude. Here we go. And he goes, hey guys, I'm here with Jenna. That could be a big deal, right? And I, I'm i thinking to myself, well, dude, if, if I was in this situation, if I was him, which, thank Heavenly Father, I'm not. I've never been the kid in college who was having my girlfriend pay my movie tickets. I don't think I could ever become a man if I did that. But okay, let's just overlook the cowardly factor. But if I was there with a girl and her ex-boyfriend was there, I would go to the other side of the movie. Or I would go to a different movie. But this asshole sits right in front of us. And my boy, Rob, is devastated. And I'm seeing him try not to cry. And I know I gotta do something here, right? I have to do something to try to wreck this asshole's evening because he's hurting my friend. And can I do something that's going to screw up the night for him and kind of put Jenna in her place? Now, I know Jenna is going to the concession stand, and she's going to powder her nose in the bathroom and come back with her two big things of peanut chews. I'm sorry, 
her junior mints. Wait for the peanut chews thing. Her two big things at junior mints, and she's gonna drink her soda. And um, that's what she's going to do. And she's going to sit in front of my friend and make him sad while she's with her new man holding hands when she's paying the tab for the movie theater. And I'm like, okay, this is bullshit. I gotta do something. I gotta protect my boy. So I say to the pretty boy from college, I said, hey, dude, I hope for your sake she comes back with peanut shoes. He said, what? And I get real close to him. I said, I hope for your sake when she comes back from the candy section, she has peanut shoes with her. Because if she don't have peanut shoes, you're in for a long night. He goes, what do you mean? And my friends are confused, right? And I just elbow them, shut the fuck up. If Jenna comes back with peanut shoes, you're going to have a great evening. But I'll tell you what, bro. If she doesn't come back with peanut shoes, you're going to be in for a miserable time. Because now she's faking it. She's pretending she's having a good time. Because when she eats peanut shoes, she's happy. But when she doesn't eat peanut shoes, that means she's depressed. So she's probably just using you. So I hope there's peanut shoes. Now, mind you, I know for a fact she's going to come back with Junior Mints. And I know for a fact that Jenna hated peanuts. There is no way in the hell she would ever come back with peanut shoes. And I say to him, and if I were you, I wouldn't question her on it. Because if you question her on it, she's going to come up with all sorts of issues that's going to wreck your night. So, hey, she'll come back with peanut shoes. Just roll with it. But if she does come back with peanut shoes, you're going to have a great night. So wonder what's going to happen. Now this guy, he's not that bright. He's really confused. My boys are like, what the hell's B doing? Jenna comes back. These two big things of Junior Mints. Her big soda. And I'm looking at her. I said, hey. Hey, B. I said, I see you went with the junior mids. She goes, you know I did. Ha, ha, ha. I look at him. I kind of wink. And the whole night is wrecked for him. He's destroyed. He don't understand why she got the junior mids. Why not the peanut chews? And I'm sitting there, and I'm watching this movie, and the movie's interesting, right? Because the movie is about coming of age, and the cliques all come together for what's supposed to be this amazing party. And the jocks realize this is their last moment of fame. Well, they're going to realize it. The geeks, as it comes out, are going to have their moment in the sun. And the rock kids are going to play for the band. They're going to have some drama. And people are going to be hooking up and falling in love. And people are learning about themselves. And everything happens at this party. And I'm, I enjoy the movie today, but I'm just watching the guy with Jenna. And he keeps looking back at me and I'm smiling. And the peanut chew incident got in his head. And they had a miserable night. They never went out again. And I would see Jenna on campus a few days. I'd say, hey. How'd it go with that guy? So, you know, it was kind of hurtful. You sat in front of Rob, but, um, seems like you guys were happy, but 
She goes, I don't get it, B. I don't get it. I liked him. But all he kept doing was bitching about why I got these junior mints. And I got so sick of hearing it, I drove his ass home. So, well, just so you know, Rob enjoyed his peanut shoes that night. He goes, what? And the moral to the story is when you're defending one of your people, getting in their head is really a great thing. Now, I got to tell you, the peanut chew story got great acclaim in South Jersey. People realize at this point that, who, when it got around what I did, without touching this guy, without doing anything, by imparting the peanut choose theory in his head and destroying his night with this girl because all she did was get junior mints and having the information knowing that she was going to get the junior mints to mess with him and supporting my boy it kind of became folklore and i'm bartending at tropicana and a year later lauren ambrose who is one of the stars of the movie can't hardly wait comes up to my bar with her friends and we're kids right we're hanging out and I hang out with her and her friends afterwards, and we're joking around. And I liked Lauren. She liked me. We were two kids hanging out a little bit. I'm going to go to law school soon. She's doing her career, but she's hanging out at the trop. And my ship's over, and I tell them the peanut chew story. Hey, we were watching Can't Hardly Wait, and this whole peanut chew thing, and the junior mint. And I'm laughing at my own story. And what I learned that night, was number one, nobody got it. Number two, this is a story that's really cool in South Jersey. But for somebody from New York, they might look at you like you're a mentally challenged person because you're mentioning peanut chews and laughing for no apparent reason. Anyway, Mike got it. Stop getting in somebody's head. So, I look back today, Can't Hardly Wait is on my DVR. I enjoy the film. But when I watch it, Got a hangry for peanut chews. I'm not much of a candy eater anymore. My friend Rob ended up with somebody who's great. We laugh about that today. And Jenna, being the miserable human being she is, is still miserable. But you can find other people you may know on Facebook. The Jail Visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. I'm really pissed off about this article in the Detroit Free Press. We'll get to that. We'll definitely get to that. We'll talk about four there. Oh, man. Just dragging ass right now, guys. I got a trial on the 18th, on the 20th, on the 24th, on the 31st, screaming matches, and somebody asked me today, what's the craziest thing I ever did in court? I'll tell that story, and then we're going to send a couple of remembrances out, and then we'll get into this whole Paul Egan article. The young lawyer asked me that today. The year was 2018. It was one of my first trials. I was really pissed off. I mean, Shy Town 6, Joe Abera, how are we going to handle this? 
So, I'm in one of my first trials, and I'm furious. I mean, this judge was ruling against me every which way. We won the case, but I mean, it was literal such bullshit. And I said to the judge, Your Honor, why don't you just go sit at the prosecution's table, since you're trying to help them anyway? I got scolded for that, severely. Hey, Kelsey Kells. But, um, it sent a message to the jury, and sometimes... You have to get that technical foul to fire your team up. You'll be on the big jail when you do it, but man. Uh, before we go any further, Mr. Tuttles passed away from Detroit. And he was a damn good lawyer. Very stylish man, known for his stylish colors and wardrobe. Damn good lawyer. And I learned a lot today that he overcame a lot in his life. We've lost some great people in Wayne County the last year. Mr. Tuttles, Alan Peisner, Danny Catteray, Miss you Red, and these people are being taken from us way too soon. And guys, what I've learned is life is really short. So I learned a lot from Mr. Tuttles. I always appreciated talking to him in Wayne County, and I'm really shocked and saddened to hear of his death. I think he was 63, and you just never know. That's way too young to die today. So rest in peace, sir. Let's talk about Paul Egan in the Detroit Free Press, July 5th, 2023. I'll post the link later. And I will post that link. The headline of the article is Michigan prosecutors push back as states allocate millions for indigent defense. I'm going to read the lead. The budget state lawmakers approved last week includes tens of millions of dollars in new funding to provide qualified lawyers for Michigan residents who can't afford one, as Michigan continues a multi-year reform effort to comply with requirements of the United States Constitution. So, what this means in English is there's more funding going into indigent defense. And this really pissed off a lot of prosecutors across the state. I'm going to read a few quotes from prosecutors in this. Then I'm going to explain a few aspects of things. Jeff Gatling, the Kazoo County prosecutor, says, There's a great imbalance right now, said Gatling, a Democrat who's president-elect of PAM the Prosecuting Attorneys Association of Michigan. Indigent defense is funded at a far, far, far greater rate than prosecutors' offices are. Ha! Okay. I'm gonna call bullshit on that, but we'll, I'll, I'll qualify that. And then good old Chris Becker from Kent County. He says, we warned them this was going to happen. Public defenders are filing more motions and clients they represent are less willing to take plea deals. So let me get this straight. Prosecutors are pissed off that poor people are having an opportunity to have qualified criminal defense lawyers. Wow. And poor Chris Backer, man. These public defenders are filing these motions. Let me explain something. And I 
admire Delphia Simpson and Washington and Doug Corwin, one of the best public defenders I've ever seen. Him and Amy Houston. I hope Doug becomes a judge. When you're a PD, you do not have the resources of the retained lawyer. You simply don't. And what I do every now and then, like I did in Port Huron last year, is I will take court appointed work just to see how the other half live a little bit. I've always done retained work. But when I jumped into court appointed work briefly, um, there was a lot of attitudes and hostility towards the prosecutor's office that I was filing motions and competencies and studying the case. And these prosecutors are pissed off. I know, Joe Abair, you're going to go against me on this one because you're a law enforcement guy, and I respect that. Somebody who may be the sheriff out there, you're going to have a problem with what I'm about to say. And I get that, Joe, but respectfully, how the hell are prosecutors going to whine because the indigent have competent counsel? So is there a rule if you're poor, not supposed to file motions? I'm so pissed off right now. When I hear Becker and Gatling and other prosecutors bitch and whine. And by the way, I may run for prosecutor. You guys know I prosecute CPS case in Lenaway. I know how both sides work, okay? Do you know how much easier it is when you're on the prosecutorial side? Let me help you out here. Let's call bullshit for a minute. And Mike, you're right, scales of justice. She truly is blind, right? But when you're poor, you get screwed over even more. I got some cases going on right now, and where do you think some of those kids would be if they didn't have me fighting? I'm really curious. Because I don't know many other lawyers that are here at 8.30 at night on Friday working for angles of the case. And that's sad, because we should be. But, hey, Chris Curry, but let's be real for a minute. When I hear these prosecutors bitch and whine, the prosecutors have the forensic center. They have the police. And when I say the police... There's city police, there's sheriff's departments, there's MSP, they don't pay for discovery, they create the discovery, and by the way guys, let's call bullshit for a minute, it is guilty till being proven innocent, no matter what the constitution says. So now we're pissed off that the indigent are going to have qualified defense counsel. Wow. Jesus Christ. I, I don't get it. I don't get it. And Becker is pissed off people aren't taking as many pleas? How about the bullshit pleas that you offer to people? Scott Grable taught me years ago. Some cases are about guilt and innocence. And some cases are about risk assessment. And you are damn right that I have pled innocent people to reduce charges to protect their freedom. Absolutely, I've done that. Not because I didn't believe in them. Because when I worked a case down the probation, and you're looking at losing your family for 25 to life, and you're 
hedging your bets. And you only got to that point because your lawyer worked their goddamn ass off to get you there. That's called fight. That's called passion. There's also some common sense that goes to it. And I'll tell you this, guys. I'm never scared to go to a trial. And by the way, I know there's people watching out there. You know I like going to trial. However, despite my success at trial, you never know what a jury's going to do. And I'm the one who has to do the time if it goes wrong. So, in some ways, defense counsel is playing with house money in that regard. And I think defense lawyers need to have a little more skin in the game. Okay, wait a minute, Joe Abera. What about the facts that don't lie, the smoking gun? Wh what do you mean by that, Joe? The facts that don't lie. What facts don't lie? About DNA? About fingerprint analysis? I'm going to tell you right now, there are some facts that lie. More importantly, there's some prosecutors that cultivate the facts to lie. What about when a kid passes a polygraph, Joe? And nobody seems to give a shit about that. But yet the prosecutor would use a confession at a pretest to try to slam someone. Are they facts that are lying? Help me out on that one. Yeah, I'll give it to you. There are some facts that are hard to controvert. But there are also other facts that are vague in their spin. And what pisses me off is the one-sidedness of things. And you're an intelligent guy. Let's be real clear. Mike, Joe, you've both been in law enforcement. Are you going to sit there with a straight face, be objective, guys, and tell me the law is not on the side of the prosecutor? What did Matt McCone say at one trial? He never saw somebody presumed innocent on the side of the road. It was a brilliant comment he made. When you walk in the court, many people in that jury believe you're guilty just because you're there. They don't understand the criminal procedure aspect. They don't understand that reasonable expectation of privacy could have been violated. They don't understand that evidence could be missing. They don't understand that something of a motive to lie. What about when there's civil litigation in a companion case? Oh, wait a minute. I know. People are going to say, oh, he's crossing that line. I mean, are we kidding each other here? Here's my thought on this. As somebody who does some prosecutorial work, but I've made a living and a name for myself as a criminal defense lawyer. If somebody is guilty and the facts support the guilt, hang by the balls. But if we have a doubt, if we're not sure, what the hell are we doing? When a prosecutor disregards the truth to try to advance their conviction rate, we got a problem. And now God forbid the indigent fight back. Oh my God, the homeless guy's filing a statue motion. What bullshit is that? Wow. You know, and the funny thing, 
this conversation with someone last night. I know that the wealthy and elitist have a real problem I'm smarter than them. That's got to suck for you guys out there, right? I mean, you went to a better law school and your family came from wealth, but yet I could break law down better than you. And that, that's, that's a tough one. Good luck with that. I've been on both sides, and that's something those elitists can't understand. Unless you know what it's like to be poor, when I was poor, my aunt and mom would have done whatever it took to get me a lawyer if I was falsely accused of something. But what if you don't have that support system? What happens when a girl cries wolf? She falsely yells rape, but we're in the Me Too movement. What about that? That matter? Because prosecutors will tell you, well, they said it, so it must be true. That's scary shit, man. Anybody could say anything about anyone. And my PhD in common sense has helped me achieve what I've achieved in this field. It's horrifying. And when I'm seeing these people who've never been in a fight in their life complain about funding going to the poor to fight more I'll tell you what I've said this before I would gladly give a piece of my salary to put into indigent defense we should all give back we're supposed to be doing that in this profession somebody's risk of incarceration should not be dictated by their social economic status how is that not clear? I'm so disgusted when I hear prosecutors bitch and whine because money's going into indigent defense. Spoken from somebody who's ever been falsely accused of a crime, who's ever had a tough financial day in their life. It's bullshit. If the prosecutor has to work harder to get a conviction, I guess the lawyer's doing their job, right? And here's a shocker. Some people that come in the court are actually innocent. I know. What did one attorney general say to me? I said, if my kid passes a polygraph, what's that going to mean? She's, oh, not much. Then I followed up. So if he made admission in the pre or post test, what's that mean? Well, he made a confession. So the statute that says you're entitled to a polygraph with a CSC does not go on to say that you should have your case dismissed should you pass the polygraph. Hmm. Then you get a polygrapher who tries to manipulate somebody. Like, hey, I want to help you out. Just tell me this. Give me a confession. Slippery slope, guys. Slippery slope. I don't know, man. I just, when I read the Egan article, I just totally lost my shit. Because, I don't know. I think at the end of the day, I'm just a poor kid living in the suburbs and things broke a certain way. I don't know. Just, just can't adhere to that attitude no matter how much money I'm bringing in. It's just disgusting. Disgust the shit out of me. Can't stand these fucking stuffed shirts that don't understand what it's like to be falsely accused of a goddamn crime, have your freedom on the line, or be falsely put on the sex registry, because somebody made a claim that they can't substantiate. 
Joe Barrett, isn't it the prosecutor's job to find every truthful fact so they could do their job? I do believe they... Yeah, it is the prosecutor's job to do that. But how many prosecutors do you think do? I'll give you some names. Past polygraph goes somewhere with Scott Corner. Goes somewhere with Mark Green. Goes somewhere with a lot of good prosecutors. There's a lot of shit prosecutors out there that don't care what the truth is. I had a case once where the DNA came back and it was not my kid. And they still wanted him to take a plea to put him on the sex registry and send him to prison. Somebody else's DNA was in that girl. And they still said, well, she said it happened. Oh my God! The science excluded him! I think what people miss, what's really missing here, at the end of the day, we are not supposed to be seeking a conviction or an exoneration. We, the criminal justice system, both sides of the aisle, are supposed to be seeking the truth. But in the quest for money, in the quest for fame, in the quest for Google hits, in the quest for ego, in the quest to look good at that party to try and get laid, something got fucked up. And the truth became second. And as long as I'm living and breathing and fighting, I am always going to advocate for the truth. And I was going to go into Vordare tonight, but you know what? I'm sure you guys have enough of me, but there's a lot about Vordare we'll talk about. Because Vordare, to me, picking a jury, that's essential. The psychology of law is almost as important as the facts of the case. And that will be a topic for another time. All right, guys. Enjoy your night. The proceeding was a paid presentation by McManus and Amadeo PLLC. Listeners of this program should contact their attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular legal matter. No listener should act or refrain from acting on the basis of information within this program without first seeking legal advice from counsel in the relevant jurisdiction. Only your individual attorney can provide assurances that the information and your interpretation of it is applicable or appropriate to your particular situation. Listening to this program using any associated website or related links or resources does not create an attorney-client relationship between the listener and host, contributors, or contributing law firms. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this program are hereby expressly disclaimed. You and your loved ones deserve a criminal defense firm that believes that your life and freedom are worth fighting for. Matt McManus, Bill Amadeo, and the McManus and Amadeo team of attorneys, investigators, and case managers will take the lead with a vast knowledge and legal experience across the state of Michigan to get the best possible result for you. Learn more at McManusAmadeo.com. Schedule a free consultation 24-7 by calling 800-392-7311.